0: Hello and welcome to episode 203 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories, one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of Rorschach 7 by DC Comics. Your creative team on Rorschach is Tom King writer, Jorge Fornes on art, Dave Stewart on colors, and Clayton Clouds on letters. This is your spoiler alert for Rorschach 1 through 7, HBO's Watchmen from 2019, and the 1986 Watchmen series. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. And joining us is Jonathan Thompson, writer of Tales of the Dead Astronaut and Burn Residue. How's
1: it going, guys? Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. So, Jonathan, joining us here in Issue 7, let's start you off with your impressions of 1 through 7 as a whole before we do the deep dive into 7.
1: I mean, I think it's really fantastic stuff. Um, I am not... I'm biased when it comes to Watchmen material because Watchmen was like a big influence on me when I was in high school. You know, it's the book to read. It's the Bible of comics and you read it and you just devour it. And then the movie did nothing for me. The TV show was good, but I wish it wasn't about Watchmen. And then this just really hits every note that I love. And it it still doesn't need to be Watchmen to me but it's a perfect kind of to the side sequel to the whole
0: original series. So do you think that the fact that you look at the TV show as good, but maybe not great helps you sort of continue on on this, this world where that was 2019 Watchmen, this is 2020 Watchmen. Do you think that sort of helps you soften that view?
1: Yeah, probably, probably. I think we've been so inundated with Watchmen light material since, you know, I never touched the before Watchmen series. So it's really just been the HBO Watchmen, which I like a lot. I like Damon Lindenloff. It just not everything clicked for me as a sequel. Whereas this is taking ideas from the original and moving them just in a different direction.
0: Okay. And, do, of the, the first seven, do you have one that you, you feel is your favorite at this point so far?
1: Oh, um, I mean, the most recent one was very damn good. But I think the best one for me was two. Two was a, just a standout for me.
2: That's my favorite. That's the apartment yeah. one, right?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the one where you really... Um, you know, I listened to Tom King talk about this book a lot when it was coming up because I was pretty pumped for it. And, you know, just everything he's doing with like the Steve Ditko analog, I think is working really well. And that, yeah. that was a great chapter.
2: It was. And I, I think we got that it was Steve Ditko after the first issue. Like I think Matt and I even talked about that when the first one came out. We were like, this is Steve Ditko. And it yeah. makes sense because he created the Charleston characters. So it was sort of a natural thing to be like, yeah, he was an objectivist. He like, you know, created basically, he was the model for Rorschach in the original book, basically, you know, his ideas were, you know, and it's sort of like, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a, when you think of it that way, it's not too much of a, a reach to make him the next Rorschach, you know, an analog mm-hmm. of him to be the next Rorschach. But what yeah. you do with it beyond that, that's the important, it's 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 not enough just to be like, what if Steve Ditko was Rorschach? You got to give this something else, you know?
1: And, yeah, I liked that a lot, you know, especially because I'm a big, like, underground Steve Ditko fan with, like, Mr. A and seeing yeah. where all those, like, hardcore influences come from. And I thought that was a really interesting spin that Tom King did with this character. You know, make it the opposite end of steve ditko but make it him still at the same time i I, I enjoyed that a lot
0: nice so noah uh i'm gonna turn it over to you um what were your impressions or your thoughts when you read seven
2: uh i think when i finished it i was like oh my god like i that's like what i wanted to text matt immediately (laughs) it was just like holy shit that really happened you know like in the and we, we predicted it on our last review that that was what was going to happen. But I don't think Matt and I really put any weight in our predictions. So we were thinking, I don't know if they would make, you know, who they made Rorschach, Rorschach. I'm like, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. And it did. And it was like, okay, now this book can go anywhere. And it's like, this is nuts. But at the same time, again, kind of like what I just said about, like, it's not enough just to be like, what if Steve Ditko was Rorschach? This book I think does a better job with the what if the character who we're about to talk about is Rorschach. Why is it important that he's Rorschach? Why is it important that he sort of as might be falling into this ideology, you know? And uh, again, it kind of, one thing I like about the Watchmen TV show is it touches on an element of Watchmen that, you know not a lot of people overlook is the sort of divergent history, you know? And sort of how that affects the world around us. And that that's from like a racial point of view in the TV show. And in this one, it's purely comics, which is something that's touched on in the Watchmen graphic novel as well, where it's like, you know, there's that huge section in the book where it talks about Joe Orlando and his career in comics and how it's different from his actual career in the reality that we live in. Um, so I really like that. And it's, it goes along with it. Well, And we'll kind of get into sort of, we talked a little bit over the chat before with this, like some of the issues that were kind of distracting about this. But I think overall, I'm really, I'm still really excited to see where this book is going. And the fact that what happened in this issue happened, I'll just repeat myself and say, I'm just happy to know that this can go anywhere now, you know? Um, And I'm excited to see where it'll go. But Matt, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, you you expressed it really well. I mean, the last time that we, when we read six and it was the sequence of the detective driving in his car, listening to the tape. And we're like, all right, it repeats in two panels. This is Frank Miller. This is Frank Miller. Like they're obviously setting us up for it being Frank Miller, but we're like, do they really have the, the, the balls to, to do this? And, you know, we gave the spoiler alert in seven they, they do. And, um, you know, he goes, you know, and it it's really crazy that we also have this auto bender, you know, tape that plays into comics history so much as well. So it's like in a weird way, it's uh it's a comic for dudes who are way too into comics like the three of us are. Yeah. So, you know, we're just geeking out on all of this stuff. So um, you know necessarily somebody who who picked this up from the you know the 2019 HBO series might be like oh that's just some weird old dude answering the door but we're yeah, all exactly. like we're all like oh like freaking out <laughs> like you know so there's got to be two sort of reactions to that I I yeah I'm wondering on Jonathan's thoughts on this too
2: because I thought the exact same thing Matt like, does this play as well of someone who's just picking this up, you know, and reading it and having no idea that it goes? I think it does. Because I think this book is just so intriguing from start to finish. And it's a really good mystery. And this is just sort of another clue falling into place. And whether you know Frank Miller is an actual person or not, I don't think it affects the story. But I'm interested to in what Jonathan has to think, what thinks about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... The, the, uh, I because of the way culture has gone, where everyone's trying to predict everything before it happens and then is being disappointed, I just let the story take me. So I was even more thrown off when Frank Miller answered that door, Mm -hmm. uh, which was great. Uh, I loved every second of it. I couldn't believe that they went there because I never expected them to go that place. Um, I think it is interesting for someone that doesn't know comics history to be picking up this book in the first place. And then secondly, like, I th- I think it works because it has made up analog characters alongside real people. And that almost makes it a more lived in world. And it kind of like does call back to that, what Alan Moore did in Watchmen, where, you know, you have Nixon as president, you know, you, you have all those things going on that still are the world, but off.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and you have like, yeah, you have cameos from historical figures and that, and it it works really well and you have actual historical events. So having like the real life accounts of things that happened with Otto Bender happening in there adds so much weight to the story. And that's sort of the unique historical event. Well, there's a couple of unique historical events. There's the one where they talk about all the, um, the mining disasters, I think in Colorado. I think that was like issue three or four. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And uh, then they have the Otto Binder historical stuff. And of course they've mentioned Vietnam and things like that, which is important for Watchmen, but it's cool to have these, like, I think that's something that I liked about what the Watchmen TV show did was sort of introduce people on a mainstream level to like the Tulsa massacre and, and things like that. And this, I don't know if this will be as mainstream, but like, for me, I didn't know the full details about Otto Binder's family life, you know? And then that was a really cool, tidbit of history right there where i was like oh that's really interesting you know and um yeah i, I like that a lot so and then that's that's what watchman does best i think so that, that that's pretty great
0: yeah in a, in a strange way it's sort of like you know in the presidential race we have redford who is a real person in our world running against turley who's a fictional character and then we have myerson who is a fictional representation of somebody that we, we kind of know. And then we have Frank Miller who is proportionally the, the same person that we know now in this 2020 um, Watchmen universe. So there's, you know, there's a, a lot of sort of like a little bit of this and then a lot of, of, of that. So it's an interesting way that they, they do that.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering what Frank Miller thinks. I'm hoping interviews come out <laughs> soon about this. <laughs> like uh, If he cares, <laughs> if he cares, I think he, I, I listened to an interview with him last week. Robert Kirkman interviewed him, I think for Collider. Oh, okay. And it was a really good interview. And um, Frank Miller, I think has gotten to the point in his life where he sort of takes everything very lightly, it seems. And just sort of, uh, it's just sort of just like looks, it seems like from the interview, he just sort of seemed to look back on life and just be like, yeah, I did what I did. And, you know, it's letting me here and I'm, you know, like wouldn't change any of it, that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be uh surprised if he was just totally down to be in this book and yeah. to just sort of, yeah. Probably um, had to be to make it happen. Yeah. He had to be. Yeah. yeah. And, so- um,
0: yeah, so that was going to be a couple of the, the the sort of Frank Miller. I think we should do like the Frank Miller uh, section here. There's got to be a yeah. couple of things like he and Tom King have had to have spoken about this. They've been, you know, at Batman panels together. So did at what point did Tom King say, hey, I'm going to put you in this book? And he had to be like, sure, go ahead and do this. And the other thing we have to think about is Alan Moore doesn't think positively about frank miller so like you know we're like frank Moore or frank miller doesn't care about this alan moore probably doesn't care about this but somebody's got to be whispering in his ear somewhere that said hey you know what dc did this and they put frank miller in in a watchman book like it, it is he going to be able to resist the temptation to to speak out about this uh jonathan what do you think what I'll do you think about creating that? a
1: hex on someone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think I think he's the last person to care. Um, yeah, you know it's it's an interesting. Tom King makes interesting choices. I'll say that, and you know they don't always pan out great, but sometimes they pan out real well, and that's what I'm finding here with this book.
2: You know, and it I just, think uh, one. Yeah, I'm sorry, talking about- I was
1: just going to say it adds so much texture to it because. If Frank Miller is just a character in this book, it still works. But when you bring what you know of Frank Miller, it adds another layer
2: to it. It really does. I wonder if Sin City exists in this world because it's not a superhero book. Well, it must be a pirate book. I don't know because, like, you know, it's a crime Sincere. book. It wouldn't be that popular. That's a lot. Of, and, and 300 would probably be a popular book in this world, that's too. True. Right? That's it true. It definitely would.
0: So, the yeah. bigger question does does Holy Terror exist in this Ugh. this world? Because those Rorschach <laughs> guys, aliens. those, those seven pirates. Cavalry guys, those Seventh <laughs> Cavalry guys would love the Holy Terror. Like, yeah. and I feel like that's. I feel like that makes it a little problematic that Frank Miller is wearing the Rorschach mask because you know it's it's documented that he sort of went off the deep end after after 11 and you know that 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 holy terror was supposed to be a Batman story yeah. and DC was like no 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 we I we can't do so. this so like Dark Horse took it and they're like just strip out all the the Batman stuff so what do you feel about the the problematic sort of nature of of frank miller post 9 11 frank miller i guess maybe you go ahead it's
1: it's it's funny that you bring up the the seventh cavalry because again i've just divorced the two projects from each other even though uh, watchman hbo is definitely supposed to take place in the same world as rorschach and i forget that that you know that might be a layer that adds the wrong kind of storytelling to it You know, that's where I like to see the projects as separate because then it kind of devalues the fact that these people are going around in Rorschach masks when it's, you know, an incel cult is doing them.
2: Yeah, and that's something we've talked about a lot on this, this book is sort of what, how does, how does something like, I mean, at the same time, from what we know, this book was written sort of simultaneously Or at least like you know was starting to be written around the time that the episodes were coming out, or a little bit before. So Tom King may have referenced those events, but he may not have known about something like the Seventh Calvary being like a white supremacist group, you know. Yeah. And uh, the, and it I think it fits in the show that it's a white supremacist group, or that it was taken to that next level, like you know from the, from like Rorschach's writing but also I think we talked about it on the first issue that it might be something kind of like what a guy Fox mask is, you know, where like you can still go to cop, like cop, uh, costume shops and a guy Fox mask isn't necessarily like, you know, still on sale and might become popular because of something like anonymous, but also it's like, you know, it's a cool mask, right. That kind of thing. So if there's something like that here, where like originally, it's not like the clan mask where it had like, a root outside of white supremacy. Rorschach was like a masked adventurer first, and yeah. then then became a symbol of white supremacy. But it might be a split thing where some people still see him as like a historical masked adventurer, and then as sort of this also that was sort of warped into this, like, you know, kind of like a guy Fox, that kind of thing, where it's like, you know, he's a symbol of something like punkish, anarchaic, that kind of thing, and then sort of became a terrorist you know uh not too terroristy but you know like uh, and like you know sort of symbol you know um
1: i like how these old comic book writers are putting on rorschach masks and yeah trying to assassinate people yeah <laughs> <laughs> i overthink
2: things um, the, um, but the uh no i i i but i don't think it distracts me though from the story i don't think it does um
0: so because what, again
2: it comes from as this like a fan of watchmen yeah
0: so what did you think about the the fact that frank miller wrote the dark Fife and he didn't write the, <laughs> the the dark knight in this universe because we you know clearly dc owns the owns the rights they should have been able to reference that right yeah
1: i like that they stick with pirates though yeah. Like, it makes sense when you, when you see it as like a spiritual sequel to Watchmen with all the pirate stuff in it. It, it makes sense that that's the world that they would go with. Um, works for me.
2: That's where it got distracting for me, I guess. Like, I kind of... Like, the Dark Fife thing, was. it felt a little... Uh, as I just gave a very far-fetched uh, reasoning for why something doesn't matter... I was like, that's what you came up with was the Dark Fife, right? That kind of thing. Like there wasn't anything like, and just so you could have it sort of rhyme that kind of, you know, with the title. Um, So it's, it's goofy and it kind of feels like it's trying to be goofy, which kind of breaks the tone a little bit. And I don't like that very much. And that's sort of what took me out just a little bit. And it kind of made me think about how we get an analog Ditko, Right, but we don't get an analog Frank Miller, and I like that Frank Miller is a real person. And it, like I said, it fits within Watchmen, but it is sort of one of those things that's weird to be like. Frank Miller would have at some point actually known as Steve Ditko, so does Steve Ditko exist in this universe along with Myerson? Right, and that's yeah. sort of like it's not a thing that's too complicated, really, but it does <laughs> get complicated, right? You know, yeah. and it's like in order for you know, Frank Miller to have gotten uh, like a career in comics that he'd do it the same way where like he worked at the Marvel analog, whatever it was first, you know, and, uh, and so on and so on, that kind of thing. It's just sort of, that's the hard part with alternate universes is that, you know, it's good to have a close divergent point, like, you know, the forties or fifties so that you don't have to go too far back with rewriting history, but still you have a lot of questions to ask with alternates and, um, Especially yeah, I, real care.
1: I agree. That's one area where like I would have preferred that he didn't actually use Frank Miller, but just still had him look like Frank Miller. It would have right. served the same purpose, you know, just like the Ditko analog. Yeah,
0: yeah it would have been interesting because like, um, you know, we read issue one and Myerson got shot and then issue two, we sort of put the pieces together They were like, oh, that's Ditko just you know in the persona of of meyerson but with this they just right away you know they gave us frank miller it would have been interesting if like you know he would have came to the door and he would have been like oh my name is franklin you know Myers or something and then we would have like got to know him and then go oh wait that's just another analog for frank miller but now like we just we just went we just went there right away, but he also he watches he watches the debates with the Rorschach mask on, a home alone. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think he's gone full crazy at this. He's gone point. full crazy,
2: on full crazy. As, and, but, as
1: the real Frank Miller probably has.
2: But one thing, and we'll, we'll probably talk about when we get into the issue, but his analysis of you know Dark Fife returns, you know, which is his Dark Knight Returns, is really interesting to be put the way that it is, you know, about like what it meant to comics, what it meant. Like as a story into the character and stuff like that i'm really like i'm really excited to talk about that when we get to that point so i like that part of it a lot
1: yeah i I I, like the whole um everything that tom king is saying about his own work in this issue is very good yes
0: yeah so do you want to talk about the 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 dark Fife uh for for a little bit right now because he basically says you know this was like my my crowning achievement and, you know, it was it was a big thing for me. And then afterwards, you know, I've never been able to sort of recapture that. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Noah? Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see where, where Jonathan
2: starts off with that. and Yeah. Let him start that part. I,
1: I think Tom King is talking about Mr. Miracle. Really? I think he is, because I think that's something that has been his touchstone so far and. It's very dark. It's very much all that thing. And, and this issue seems to be a guy realizing that it's harder to be lighter. And like you know that's why I say that this issue is a lot about his own work. Mm. Um, I, I know that he wrote this during like the height of the pandemic, and he sat down and wrote it in three months which is something that he said that he's never really done before is write it all in one burst which i think is absolutely telling with how perfectly formed each issue is is how like well put together the whole thing comes to be but uh i think he's talking about Mr Miracle and that's my hot take
2: yeah that makes sense because that's something we talk a lot about on our strange adventure reviews is that that book feels very like not autobiographical but also kind of metatextual about his own career too and how he's perceived writing Batman you know and uh how he's perceived by the public and sort of like it feels like he's working through some demons there you know in that book and um yeah I I can definitely see that and I um but you know and, and it's it's kind of interesting that he's sort of uh you know, he he sort of frames it as sort of this, like, I don't know, like, he, like, it, it came from a place of love, but then, like, he sort of um, ended up doing, but, like, that's, like, that's where I think it's interesting for, like, a Dark Knight Returns thing where he talks about how it came from a place of love for the character and wanting the character to go someplace new, right? But then he took away the possibility of that character ever being the fun character that he had as a little kid. I thought that was brilliant, Yeah. you know? And then that was something that, like, I thought that was a very, we, we say that a lot about comics from the eighties and stuff like that, but you can also say that about Watchmen, right? That Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons never set out to change comics to where they were only about adult, you know, like all these superhero comics were only about like had adult themes and were very serious. And, uh, I guess, uh, self-analyze that kind of thing, you know, uh, they just wanted to make a good comic right out of characters and stuff like that. Um, But eventually that's all we got. And it's hard to come back from that to like where it was the, 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 the the book that captured the imagination of these guys who became the artists, right. As kids. Um, So I love that. I love that a lot. And I think Tom King put it really well um, in this book. And uh, it sort of, again, shows the tragedy of sort of like, How serious we take these things and when they were always designed for kids you know (laughs) and uh and yeah but yeah what 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 did you think matt
0: um well a couple of things like yeah i think there's a good point on the the in the influence of of the dark knight because you know after 86 dark knight you know we've always had the sort of the, the brooding sad batman since then no matter who has sort of written that character? So it's interesting to think about how he changed that character. But I've been thinking about Jonathan saying that it related to Mr. Miracle because, you know, if you think Frank Miller sort of had early success with Daredevil and then he would have done Dark Knight, which would have been sort of his crowning achievement. So is Tom King thinking that like I had you know some minor successes and then I had Mr. Miracle where I got you know Eisner nominations and awards is he sort of self-reflecting like am I ever going to be able to sort of recapture that magic which you know a lot of people would argue that Frank Miller has never been able to recapture that magic after after Dark Knight Um, so so that's 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 a really interesting take and you know, Noah and I have talked about how sort of every Tom King comic is a little autobiographical, you know, there's a lot of him becoming a father and dealing with that and mr Miracles and then um a lot of early strange adventures seem to be like him dealing with the fact that he was a big deal in comics and he was off of Batman. and so now is this him being a little you know reflecting back on on things so i i I like that take that it's uh again sort of continuing the tom king adding aspects of sort of his autobiography into the the character that that he's writing
1: yeah Yeah, i think think it's hard not to yeah no just as a creator and especially someone who you know love or hate what he does every time you know tom king is really out there putting great stuff so, you know, he's, he's working hard for each page.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that we've talked about on this this, the, this review series about the books, just sort of really, like, I think I think we talked about how Mr. Miracle, he intended Mr. Miracle to sort of tap into sort of the, the sort of uh, cultural emotions that were happening at the time of like being unsure of what was real and what you could trust and things like that and being divided in that way, like in internally, but also outwardly. And this book is sort of, it seems to have captured sort of the other cultural emotions that have happened since then of just sort of this, like continuing that like paranoia and that uh, like sort of mistrust of what's real and what's not real. And do we believe someone who has this like far out idea, you know, and do you get sucked in by that sort of paranoia and that fear and that distrust of authority and everything like that. And it's, um, it's kind of cool to sort of show like Frank Miller, who was a guy who got really sucked into that stuff, going back to Holy terror. Like, it's like, it's interesting to see him be sucked in, you know, that kind of thing. Like uh, it's, um, and maybe it's sort of Tom King trying to work through not getting sucked in too, which is funny again, because like, uh, you know, leading up to this, he made the accusations about Jay Lee being a comic skater out of nowhere. Right. You know, that kind of thing and getting sucked into the fear and the paranoia around things. Yeah. And um, so I think it's Tom King also working through, like, am I going to get sucked into, you know, the scary stuff, you know, it's uh, the witch hunts, you know, and it's on both sides. Right. You know, it's not like, it's not mu- It's not mutually exclusive. And um, I think Tom King's really exploring that really well in this book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just real briefly to take us away from the, the Frank Miller stuff um, let's, let's focus in on when they're sitting at the table and they're sort of having the discussion of the tapes, Noah as well, uh, Jonathan, I know you love Watchmen as well, but like Noah, I feel loves Watchmen on an extreme level (laughs) but um when they when they when they when they they switch to the pages where they're discussing the the squid attack and manhattan Mm -hmm. is sort of sitting there and they're sort of extrapolating that he was trying to to stop the squid attack and he couldn't do it what did you think about those pages because like those pages like in an art style like matched up so well with like the the 86 like Watchmen pages so so what did you think about that stuff there
2: yeah I was so distracted by the Frank Miller stuff I didn't really take into consideration the brilliance of those pages because yeah they they fit the composition of of Watchmen and we we talked about that on the chat and it'll be this will be a great thing because we uh Jonathan I know definitely has thoughts on this as well about the reliance on the nine panel grid that Tom King has had up until this point Mm-hmm. and that he only uses it in moments that almost call back to Watchmen. And in this, and in this issue especially, that he has the, you know, the large one panel of, of Dr. Manhattan sitting on Mars, and then down below it, it's got the wide panel of the squid attack, and it's, it matches up perfectly with what you would have seen Dave Gibbons, like the composition Dave Gibbons would have used. And, um, and then, of course, on the, op, the opposite-facing page, you have a nine-panel grid, And uh, that's pretty great. Uh, And it kind of calls back to sort of what, um, when we have seen sort of Watchmen characters pop up, it switches to the Watchmen composition where it's like nine panels or it's the full like, you know, three quarters panel and stuff like that. So we have the, there's the one issue where the strong man has the, tells the story that this, they gives this theory for the first time where Dr. Manhattan took all the consciousness of all the other superheroes and put them into the outside world. And I think it's the exact same composition as this page right here, where it's a three quarters panel, a wide panel, and then a nine panel grid. Mm -hmm. And I really love that because that's Watchmen. It's the visual consistency, the motifs, and it's not just the nine panel grid. It's a consistent visual language throughout the whole book. And that's brilliant right there. it doesn't. You, like I said, you don't need you don't need nine panel grids to make it Watchmen esque. You just need to care, that kind of thing. Like that's that's what it is. Um, but yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, so I mean,
0: for oh, no, Jonathan, I please. I, I just
1: wanted to say how we didn't mention, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this before, but George Fornes is fantastic. Yes, like the the way he's able to. Make you feel like you're looking at Watchmen pages, but still being such a complete and full artist of his own is really just great stuff.
0: Yeah, there was um, Tom King on another interview. Like when they had worked on some other stuff, and he had sent some stuff to like DC, and he's like, "We need this guy to to do more stuff," and they're like, "He looks like Kelly. And Tom King's like, is that a bad thing? And they're like and he, they're like, Well, he's like, That's not a bad thing to look like Naza Kelly. But like, you know, the the pages that are here, like they just like these are on glossy paper on, you know, twenty twenty one, but they so feel like the the, the newsprint like watchmen pages that that's yeah. a pretty amazing job that they did there. That's Dave Stewart too. You
2: know, Dave yeah. Stewart doing a really good yeah, job with of the he did, he picked a really good palette. Like the original Watchmen book, again, you don't need to use the secondary colors that John Higgins used in that book. You just need to understand why it's important that the primaries pop in that book. And this book does the same thing where it's like, when it switches to a primary color, like when they do the actual like Bende printed comic stuff, it pops and it means something visually. And like when Dr. Manhattan shows up, it means something because he's, he's his color is not anywhere else in the book. And that's that's what's brilliant about the original Watchmen. That's what's brilliant about this book. And like what Jonathan said, it's it's unique to Forness and it's unique to Stewart. And that's what's great too. So it's, yeah, it's going to be a good comic devoid of Watchmen and uh, along with Watchmen. And that's like all you can ask for. It was interesting. I read... Um, geiger number one which i loved but it's interesting that it seems like jeff johns and um and gary frank haven't stopped trying to imitate alan moore like with the nine panel grids yet yeah and even in the three jokers it was jeff johns and jason Faybach not being able to try to they were trying to do alan moore too hard and same with doomsday clock it's just like you, you gotta understand You can try, but you're not gonna do it. Like, just make a good comic. That's Watchmen's legacy, you know?
1: I think that's an area that Tom King was stuck on that nine panel grid for so long and became over-reliant on it. And what's so beautiful with Rorschach and Strange Adventures is to see him really break out of it and become Mm -hmm. a much better storyteller because of it. Where you're right, Jeff Johns is stuck. You know, everything is a zoom out. Everything is that same kind of composition and, you know, match cutting, you know, you want to leave the tricks behind and try and like find your identity again.
2: And it makes, it this storytelling makes the nine panel grid matter, you know? Yeah. So that when it shows up in this book, it means something. So the last page on here is a nine panel grid and it means something, you know? Uh, the composition of it is flawless
1: it's there for pacing and not there because that's you know what you do I mean that's why I say like this whole book feels you know this and strange adventures just feels like Tom King pushing himself as a writer pushing himself as an artist and you know I'm excited for every issue that comes out
0: definitely yeah so we were talking about you know mimicking old Comic book styles, but here we also get a cover page to um Astonishing Suspense 15, which looks like Amazing Fantasy 15, which would have been drawn by Ditko. Um, and they sort of give it like a bit of a like a dot matrix sort of print feel to make it look old. What do you guys think about trying to replicate, you know? Silver Age comics there with, you know, maybe the most famous Ditko cover of, of all time. Um, Noah, do you, do you want to go first? I was just going to say that was the other thing that was a little
2: distracting um, for me, but at the same time, I was like, I was able to get over it. One thing that I love about it is that Forness is such a good artist that he can do Ditko at every stage of his art, right? Yeah. So he's able to mimic Ditko on Spider-Man And Ditko with his underground stuff with Mr. A. Mm -hmm. That's amazing right there. And again, whoever's doing the colors and the process stuff afterwards with like this being the A stuff and then that stuff feeling like just black and white artwork on board. Brilliant, just brilliantly well done. And like you, you said, it feels like it's printed on Um, that that stuff with the Mr. A stuff felt like it was printed on Bristol or like you were looking at a Bristol board. Mm -hmm. This feels like you're looking at newsprint. So yeah, what do you think, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, I think they really nail it with stuff like that. It it doesn't throw me off. Um, You know, it's not as, the coloring is not as natural as like if you had picked it up back then, but it pops in the right way, especially when you look at like the next page with like the sepia tones. And the past, and thinking about the record, you know, it it all works. You know, it works so well.
2: Yeah, Matt, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, this is almost like it's a wink and a nod to 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 dudes or dudettes that are way too into comics to have it in the same pose as Amazing Fantasy (laughs) fifteen. So, like, I go, oh, okay, yeah, I know what they're doing. But like, again, if somebody who loves the the Regina King Watchmen story. If they pick this up, they're just gonna be like, oh, that's a cover to to an old book. So it it works on on different levels. Um so no, I really enjoy it. And it's again like there, you know, Dave Stewart is doing the colors, but like at what point are they sort of having sort of a production meeting where they're like, we need this to look old, we need this to look like a watchman page like do they is dave stewart like trying to grab palettes from from watchman and and drop those into to whatever he's doing um it's just a really amazing job it is yeah. yeah and it's also like it's great that it's like the whole
2: book is like a four color palette which is great too um mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it feels like a modern comic while still also harkening back to original comics where it's like very minimal. And that's sort of what Dave Stewart does best, like mm-hmm. is like the like limited palette colors. Um, it's great. But I, I think also people like, I think it also just, you know, the change in style gives it a feel and a texture that makes you, that harkens you back to the past, which is also great. And it's like Jonathan said, Stewart does a great job of distinguishing timelines using things like sepia tones. We've noticed that another another other issues too. you know, it's just great to have a strong visual language where you have geography and time separated by color. and that's just
0: good comics. Yeah, it seems like Meyerson has the the oranges. Uh, Laura has more of like the the yellows and uh, and then when we go with the detectives, we get we get the detective, we get more of the the blues. So like the colors and the themes sort of match up with like what character we're following in those pages yeah that that carries over from yeah. the last issue which was also
2: brilliant yeah
1: yeah it's that they all just work so well together on this book
0: they do yeah. yeah so you know one of the other themes that we have running through this book is everybody listening to the the Otto Bender, um, tape or i think in some cases it looks like it's a reel to reel and they're they're trying to 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 hear the message um and that's also sort of portrayed in sort of like a left to right like the sound coming out of the tape going into the to the ears of of the listener what did you guys think about when the various people are listening to to the tape trying to hear that message that uh you know when we had the flashback, Otto Bender is like, "Do you hear it?" You know, Laura and Myerson are like, "Do you hear it?" Frank Miller is like, "Do you hear it?" And then at the end, he's playing it for Detective. What do you think about the sort of the way that we we show them listening to the uh, to the the recording there? You go ahead, Jonathan.
1: I mean, it's just really compelling the way it's it's laid out. Like the page where um, I'm looking at the page after the Watchmen spot with Dr. Manhattan where you just see Myerson sitting, listening to it throughout the years. And it just, there's nothing there for you to find or pick out letters and try and see what he's reading mm-hmm. or hearing, but just the facial reactions that characters give sell so much and that's it really works in unison quite well
0: yeah and we we see him we see him aging and sort of like early on he's just sort of like uh he almost like in the in the three panels before the final panel he almost sort of like leans in to to the to the sounds that are coming in like he's like he's getting it and then like in the fourth one he's almost like resigned like I understand what I'm getting so like even without sort of like having like a caption box that says I think I understand I understand I fully understand like we get that through the the communication of the almost the way he's leaning into it Um, Noah what what are your thoughts um, I, I love that,
2: that page that, that yeah, Jonathan brought up. And it kind of also goes with like the page that I love. And it, it continues with, um, we, we talked about it on the last issue, the power of like just having empty panels on your page for pacing purposes. And I love that this book is doing that. So there's that nine-panel grid page where Laura and, and Meyerson are at Frank Miller's house. It's that flashback. And there's that right-facing page with the nine-panel grid but the top right and the middle left corners are just blank white. And it's just the lettering carrying over from one panel to the next. Mm -hmm. And having that, there is some like unspoken, like magic, right. Of like pacing right there. And just, you want to know what the philosophy is behind having a blank panel in your book. Like it's as much about like right there, it's like, Oh wow. It is as much about what's drawn as what's not drawn, you know? And it's, that's something that this book is really challenging me on, as a comic book creator, is like when is it important? And of course, I'm not going to start doing this on Dino Thrashers or anything like that. But like, it's like when is it important to not draw something? You know, to leave a part of your page blank? You know, that's something that question keeps coming up, and I'm not—I'm not, I'm not come to an answer. I don't even know how you do it in this book, but it's just an interesting question to be asking yourself, like. When do you say this panel has nothing in it? And obviously there are the panels where it's like, we've talked about like the GI Joe issue where it's just boxes and people in darkness, you know, but this is like a white panel and no one's in a snowstorm. You know, that's the thing. Like, I just, uh, I'm interested in what you guys think of that.
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting choice because a lot of times when we see the the background drop out, it's to make us focus on like the characters. Like it might be like a fight scene and then all of a sudden like the, you know the fatal blow is delivered, and the the background drops out so that we focus on the characters. But here, it's just sort of a continuation to make us feel like, okay, I'm listening to this tape. Some time is, you know, gone by. I'm still listening to the tape. So it's it's an interesting way for backgrounds to drop out. So, uh, Jonathan, do you do you have any thoughts on uh, on that page there?
1: Yeah, it's it's like. Um... You're experiencing what the character is experiencing, the Frank Miller character in that scene, where it's this white empty page panel, because he's sitting there just listening to nothing. And I I think that really it layers the page beautifully and it adds to the character of it all.
2: It really does. Yeah. And, and, but it's still it's just one of those things where it's like, how do you think of that? You know, that kind of thing. Like yeah. I just want to be like, Yeah, well, how do you think that? that's what's going to work. You know, like you don't devote a whole panel. Like you don't, you know, you don't show a reaction. You don't do anything like we've done you did in the page that you brought up. You just have a white spot. Like that's, that's just, you know,
1: Uh, even the whole, you know, if you take those, not the last three panels, but the first six of that sequence, how they just mirror each other at the beginning and the end and in the center, you know, it's a nice, you know, uh, Tic Tac Toe board of beautiful construction that really immerses you. Yeah,
2: it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, so before I forget, I wanna I wanna touch on this. If you look at the cover, and I I, I think this is the case. Are those Frank Miller's eyes inside That's of interesting. the inside of the, uh, the 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 turntables on the uh, or the the wheels that would turn the uh, the the reel to reel? they could be they they look very sort of worried and, at it. Um,
2: they're supposed to be frank miller's eyes right and it's i feel I like guess, they're ex- i feel like they're they just, might be i feel like they're just like
0: google be. image like let's clip those and and put them in in on Instead the cover on
1: experiment
0: <laughs> yeah and this I would mean, have was, been solicited like three months ago like yeah. you know somebody with a you know, a sharp eye would have been like, Hey, why are those Frank Miller's eyes, um, out there.
1: You know, just mentioning the cover, these covers are absolutely brilliant. Ten, mm-hmm. this is a work of art. This one.
2: It is. Well, I've,
1: and now it's Frank Miller's eyes for me.
2: Yeah. I also love that it ties into the Manhattan theory with the, yeah. um, with the, uh, the, uh, the nitrogen the hydrogen the symbol, nitrogen, hydrogen symbol, yeah. Sorry, the hydrogen symbol at the top. That's just so cool. It just has so much going on here, uh, and it'll be like one of those. Like, it'll it fits again with like that Watchmen. Like again, it doesn't have to be the first panel, right? It can just be something cool like that that fits in with the yeah. story. And again, this like is, yeah,
1: well, I was gonna say this is one of the rare books, like period, on the shelves that the cover actually adds to the story yeah and that's so important um you know more than just something that's going to pop out at someone to pick it up um it really complements the story well in a way that Watchmen
2: did and that's something that doomsday clock didn't understand you know it's not enough pulled out (laughs) yeah it's not enough to pull out and just have the first panel there the brilliance of Watchmen is that yes it's the first it's it ties into the first panel but like fearful symmetry's cover means something to the story you know like that's just it 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 sets the tone yeah yeah and it's uh and like i said the first page of like the first issues cover means something to not just the first issue but the whole series you know like as Mm -hmm. as a storytelling device so yeah um, again, you don't have to do exactly what Watchman did to pay homage to Watch, but you just yeah. have to care. Like it's
1: all it is. <laughs> I'd fill in the blanks.
0: Yeah. So let's turn our attention to uh, how the the issue ends. Um, you know, Frank Miller is playing the the tape again for for the detective, um, and and they come to the conclusion that there there's something that they they that the tape is telling them. Um, no, what'd you think about uh, the sort of the revelation there on the, on the last page? I think, um, I mean, we're definitely seeing this guy enter the heart of darkness
2: and it's going to be like an apocalypse now kind of ending where he's going to have to confront the Rorschach within himself at the end. Yeah. And I love that inevitability being set up on this last page of having that diagonal across, you know? So it means that he's definitely hearing Kill Turley in the tape. I think that's what it means, you know, or at least it's like maybe at the beginning we thought he was like 50 50 teetering on the edge of losing his mind. Now it's like 75%, this guy's going to go nuts, you know, and uh, that's sort of my thought about it. And so I definitely think he's hearing the message in the end and that sort of diagonal of having him being bookended by rorschach mm-hmm. is sort of showing that like rorschach is closing in on his psyche and that fits with sort of the uh, the imagery that we've had um and the other books like rorschach and laura following behind him that means that they're like invading his mind you know yeah and that, I, I think that, that this that page does that really well um but yeah what do you guys think
0: uh so yeah you 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 phrased that really well because earlier on when he was reading sort of the the journal and the in the diner you know he sort of imagines laura and rorschach walking in and sitting down at another table and they just casually playfully sort of look at him and you know make a remark and then later on he's walking down sort of like a rainy city street and they're mocking they're mocking him so it's we we've seen this sort of progressing to to this point um so yeah, I agree with you that like we, we see him being pushed and like he's at this moment, like, all right, he's at the edge. Is he going to get pushed over the edge? But Jonathan, what, what, what do you think? Um, I have a couple
1: comments. Uh, first, I know
0: that just based on
1: interviews listening to Tom King over the past year, he's really gotten heavy into noir films in a way that I don't think he was as previously um, engaged with. I know Strange Adventures is a parallel to a um, a noir film from the 50s and uh, this started off feeling like Citizen Kane in a way
0: mm, where yeah. you had
1: this blank detective character and I know that was people's complaint at the beginning was that oh I'm just not engaging with this detective that's going around you know he's just like a nothing that's just picking up events. And I do think that last page sells that this is going to be that, you know, contagious thing. And I also think it has a lot to do with paranoia in such a brilliant way. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at what's gone on, you know, all over the world, but in our country too, where people have been just even deeper into conspiracy theories. And between Laura's youth and where now, you have Frank Miller dressed up as Rorschach and how people are listening to these tapes and hearing things that they need to do and thinking that they're signs from Dr. Manhattan as to like how to keep the squids away is just brilliant stuff. And, you know, this guy's going down a dark road for sure. And I can't wait to see where it is all heading. Nice.
2: That's a great way of putting it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I think we're going to do predictions um, as we wrap up, but I, I have a really serious question before we get there. Um, I need to CGC the, the first appearance of Frank Miller. Is it this one, or is it the one before um, that I can CGC the, the first appearance of Frank Miller in comics? I think it's this one.
2: He hasn't <laughs> appeared before. I guess now it's now it's the last issue. Because uh, he is at the end of that one. But we didn't is it know a, cameo- is, it a is it a
0: cameo and then a first appearance? Like, can I can mm. I do it twice? Like, sort of well, like, Hulk, like Hulk 180, Hulk 181? Like, is it going to be this debate?
2: Isn't there, like, a Fantastic Four where, like, uh, well, like... Well, it's like, here's the thing, is that, like, there's an issue of Spider-Man that Ditko drew where Mary Jane's in it, but you don't see her face. Does that mm-hmm. count as the first appearance of Mary Jane? Or is it when... Uh, ramita drew her a couple issues later you know too technical for me
0: these are these are these are serious questions that have to be uh have to be figured out cgc needs to figure out which one's the first <laughs> appearance of frank miller in comics so yeah all right um, so uh do you guys want to do predictions on the the next couple of issues and and maybe where things might uh end up yeah you guys go first Jonathan, as the guest, we'll let you. Uh... I, mean,
1: I mean, we still have five issues left, so this literally could go anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> I I just like the continuing narrative in the background of the election, just continuing to move it move its way forward. That tells me it's all going to bl- blow up, you know, when it comes to election time. Uh, yeah, I can't I I'm in for the ride. I'm not making predictions anymore. I've been burned far too many times, and I'm not letting that ruin anything for me. I'm here for what the writer intends. Yeah. I'll judge yeah, it that's, after.
0: That's that's a good that's a good philosophy. Okay, then shut up. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: like let, let 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 the guy the experts show you how it's done with predictions. <laughs>
0: i don't think we've ever hit one of these before so we can keep going oh yeah
2: this i think that's what is so enjoyable about this series is that we predicted something wild and it came true
0: yeah. um, oh when we, i predicted that uh what did i predict in uh doomsday clock that um i predicted uh what, what did i
1: that issue twelve was going to come out four years later. Oh no no
0: no! no it I, was. We all. No no I right. predict no. Actually no I take right. that back. I predicted that Superman was going to show up at the end of the, the Watchmen series to to fight um, <laughs> Doctor Manhattan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he was going to jump like it was going to be a moment in issue twelve where he jumps off the page into the TV. Yeah. Yeah. He was gonna, like, he was, I like you know, that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so but go ahead Noah.
2: Um. My predictions are like, I I think I talked about it. I definitely am still predicting that this detective is going to hit like a dark, you know, his dark night of the soul is probably going to happen sometime soon, you know, and then it's going to be like, there's going to be a moment of where he's just like, there's, I think he's at the point of no return, right? You know, after this issue, like he's hit, like, this is the midpoint, I guess, like of the story, you know, where it's like, he's made a decision that he can't go back on. um, Talking with Frank Miller. And then like, of course, like I think the dark Knight of the soul will sort of happen in issue 10, I'm guessing and then like 11 and 12 will be sort of like the third act, where it is going to like it is going to go nuts, you know, and it's going to be he's going to have to make a decision in issue 11 as to whether or not he's going to kill Turley or not or like, you know, issue 10 or something like that. Like I predict issue 10, he's going to make the decision, I'm going to kill Turley, you know, or he's going to say something like that. Then issue 11 is going to be about like maybe going into his backstory or something like that. And we're going to get like something filled in about maybe how this guy, how he relates to Meyerson and Laura. And then issue 12 is going to be all about the choice. Is he going to kill Tar- Turley or not? You know, Or is he going to kill Redford or something like that? And I don't know if I want to, I don't feel like it's inevitable. He's going to die you know, like a a typical noir film. Like, I don't see this as being something where it's going to be like Sunset Boulevard because that would be too easy to predict from the first issue, you know, with Rorschach dying. So it's going to be something, I think it's going to go to the next level of bold, like the end of the Watchmen TV show did, where it's going to be like ambiguous ending, you know, at the end. So that's how I think it's going to end is something really ambiguous maybe something earth shattering, maybe something that fits with sort of the anarchy that is Alan Moore, you know, that's sort of what I'm predicting. But what, what about you, Matt?
0: All right. So are you ready for bold predictions?
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: So we haven't had a lot of super heroics in this book so far, but the Angela Abar of this, world exists somewhere right and we were left off with that is she manhattan has she gained manhattan's power uh i'm gonna make a bold prediction that angela abar shows up as some sort of character to um flush out all of this this rorschach nonsense because it's going to make its way back to her in oklahoma and she shows up to to stop it. I know that's that's bold, but I, I like the I like the bold prediction. I mean,
1: Frank Miller just showed up in an issue. <laughs> I actually probably think that's likely to happen now.
0: <laughs> well, here's here's
2: something we predicted in the first issue because we were listening to the seance and we we're like, all right, who could be conducting this seance? And in this issue, they didn't say it. But like, if there was magic involved, could we see an Alan Moore analog of sorts showing up at that's some interesting. point? In this book, Matt, do you still think that we could see an analog of Alan Moore showing up? I do. Or Dave Gibbons might even just show up as
0: himself. <laughs> I still feel like now that we've, you know, we 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 thought that Alan Moore was a possibility early on, and now that Frank Miller has opened the door in his nice Connecticut home or upstate New York home, I it's it's certainly possible that DC just wants to. Drive the screws into Alan Moore a little bit more, and have him show up in a in a Watchmen book. We own you, Alan. Don't try <laughs> yeah, to fight it. You are a character now. You're, you're I- in the universe. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah. a really that's a really weird thing. To, you know that he's been he's been fighting to get the the you know the rights to Watchmen. Like, are they going to just just be like, hey, we're just going to throw some salt in the wounds, and you're now. A character in in Watchmen we 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 put your likeness in there
1: you know that's kind of like a a great writing trick though too is we're just halfway through and he's introduced Frank Miller which opens the story up to really anything can happen now anybody can show up it's like you you thought this was the moment that was going to throw you off there's probably something coming that was set up because of this
2: it's a clever twist on the anyone can die idea, except yeah. without any death, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a brilliant way of doing that, of it being unpredictable. Is having this be the, like I said, like the midpoint is really brilliant um, in the story. That that's pretty great. And that's that's uh, your screen. You know, screenwriting, right, Jonathan? That this is kind of this is technically the midpoint, right? I'm using that term correctly. I
1: mean, yeah. I'm well. It's a pretty even number, twelve. You know, we're we're in. I feel like we're we've crossed into that second threshold, really, with with the beginning of this issue. We're in, you know, almost the second act. You know, the halfway part where the story is going in a completely new direction. You know, I can't wait to read this when it's all done. Yeah, cover to cover, because these issues are just so they're everything that's great about comics, in a sense where. The writing and art is in such a rhythmic pattern that each issue you just lose yourself in. You know, it's you know what Alan Moore always talked about is like putting the reader in a trance, and they succeed so well at this
0: one. Yeah, I'd really like a director's cut of of one of these just to see sort of the the back and the forth. I know recently a a director's cut of uh, Strange Adventures. One came out where we saw some of the you know the process, but the, you know that would be really great to to see this as well.
1: What about uh, that? I'm looking for the annotated version where it <laughs> says you know on this page that's Frank Miller, writer of The Dark Knight
2: Returns. <laughs> Asterisk, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, written written in the in see? the margin written in the margins. Yeah. I cleared this with uh, with Frank at New York Comic Con, you know, 2018. Uh, Um, a day before the issue was going out i cleared it with frank yeah so you know we talked about angela uh what about dan and laurie do you think that they Mm. could uh i mean technically in this world dan's still in prison laurie is a an fbi agent um do you think we could see any of them i think dan because dan's a comic book fan yeah
2: and um, I'd be interested if if they brought Dan in because that would fit his character would fit in this story because he's the geek of all the people like he's the one who's into mythology and into comics and, and superhero comics and things like that like I think mm-hmm. he's the one that brings up Batman doesn't he in the, in the Watchmen book I think maybe
0: um, Possibly but he also sort of is the one that has doesn't don't you feel like he's the one that has most of the interactions with with rorschach um yeah kovacs he's he's, he's kind of the
1: the the missing link from the show he's like the one character that wasn't in the show and that kind of makes it you know if king's idea was to make it just adjacent to the show you know that would make sense
2: it would also
1: it would be interesting to see if superheroes show up at all because it is a world that once had these heroic people for generations and you know that's i think there's a lot to be said from what tom king is talking about when he talks about making something hopeful i think this ending is going to be hopeful yeah which will throw people off
0: (laughs) i hope so i hope it does
1: Yeah. yeah
0: yeah nice so um Jonathan, do you have uh, any final thoughts as, as we wrap up here on, on Watchmen? I know you gave some of your predictions, but um, actually before that, um, I just want to give you the welcome to, to break down uh, future issues as, as we go forward. Um, yeah. I know I'm doing that. Oh here. yeah.
1: I'd love to, especially when it's over. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. I don't want to impede upon your beautiful collective here, but uh-huh. definitely when it's <laughs> over, I'm, I'm down to come back. You know, it's, uh, like I said, I can't wait to read it from start to finish. You know, Tom King is a writer that I have mixed feelings about. I did not really like his Batman run. I loved what I read of Mr. Miracle. I liked Vision. I really like what Strange Adventures is doing. And then I just love Rorschach. Cool. And the, the Baghdad one which is
0: Sheriff of Babylon,
1: Sheriff of Babylon. Very
0: good. So, um, Noah, I know that, uh, you know, you and I have been breaking these down as we've gone and, you know, in all honesty, other than the vision, we've probably broken down every Tom King book. That's, that's, you know, one of the major works that's come out, but, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts so far as we close? Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm i every issue gets me more excited. So I'm, 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 I loved it. It's it's this book hasn't let me down seven issues in, and that means that seven out of 12, it's pretty good score so far. So even if it goes downhill after issue eight, it really has to go downhill for me not to love the, you
0: know, most of the series. So, yeah. So when, when death shot shows up and just in uh, you know, a suicide squad rolls in and takes everybody out, you're going to be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when uh when Doctor Manhattan's
2: son from Doomsday Clock shows up, um it's just, you know, I'll still love this You'll series be ready for it. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'll be ready. Yeah, so, I hate Doomsday Clock so much. <laughs> it,
0: it 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 there was w- actually uh there was the the one issue where Superman was sort of or where they were sort of playing with the Superman timeline. That was the one that really worked well, but everything else was yeah. a, was a big train wreck.
1: I liked I liked the Marionette and the Mime.
0: Yeah. I did too. Brilliant characters.
2: Yeah.
1: Why I, I are don't... they in this story? He yes. should have put them somewhere else. Ugh. <laughs> oh, great characters.
2: There are and there are issues in that series that I love. I liked I liked um the new how he did the new Rorschach. I thought yeah. that was really well that done. That was well done too. But then he just dropped it. Like yeah. you know he didn't mean anything in the end and same with like bringing the comedian back. It didn't mean anything. And I was just like, Oh, did it mean something? No. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, I think that makes the case for what, what King did with this, which was sit down and take three months and write this thing all, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for doing it that way. that that that's a lesson to writers out
0: there it is so so jonathan why don't you give us a uh, an update on the what you have going on you know noah and i are are big fans of the of the burn residue book um so two two is um is two has been shipped and you guys are working on yeah, three two, right now two's out
1: three uh two got delayed a little
0: bit just because the
1: the the printer had a little COVID outbreak okay so so that pushed us back a little bit but three is about to be wrapped within the next week and a half and then that'll be sent out to the printer so that'll come pretty quickly and then the graphic novel version is right behind that one and that's that's you know it's it's looking beautiful it's a pleasure to have done and uh you know i appreciate all the support especially from you guys especially everybody that backed the campaign you know
0: Yeah. And so do you want to mention who did the, uh, the, the cover on the, on the trade?
1: Oh yeah. The cover was done by Jacob Phillips, who has uh, that Texas blood. He's the colorist for reckless, which has another volume coming out. And I'm excited to just see that one in, in its hardcover form and and see that in front of me because it just looks beautiful. Nice.
0: And uh, I don't, I think I saw some progress picks um, of Tales of the Dead Astronaut. Is there, is there anything going oh, on yeah. with uh, that? I don't
1: know if I mentioned it last time, but we got picked up by SourcePoint Press. We're going to be doing a three-issue run starting in the fall. You know, we're just, George and I are just finishing up issue three, uh, which has been a blast. You know, Tales from the Dead Astronaut was my first big leap into making comics which is awesome because it's worked out so well that people wanted to see more of it. Uh, I set myself up nicely by having twists at the end of every one of those stories. So we just went full ahead and continued all of those stories, which has been a really fun exercise. And just like if you like Heavy Metal Magazine, you're going to like Tales from the Dead Astronaut.
0: Nice. So am I correct in guessing that, you know, one, is going to sort of be reprinted by by source point and then two and three will be sort of original products from from them exactly yeah yeah and you're thinking of a fall release with that i i believe they're looking at the
1: fall yeah i think september october i'll know more in the next month or two
0: nice yeah because you know again burn residue we love that but you know tales of the dead astronaut was the, the thing that introduced us to, to you yeah. so so we love that as well so and i know you have something else going on i've, I've yeah. had a chance to read that script so I know. hopefully
1: real soon yeah you know we're well i'll say we're i'm working with another artist ryan tavarez who did nomads and we're getting ready to launch a one shot on kickstarter a game of doubles it's about two twin brothers One was a former tennis player. Uh, He's kind of hating his life now. It's their 50th birthday, and the best way to celebrate is to lock themselves in the bathroom and do cocaine. (laughs) And uh, I'll say that the book has... It's fun because it has two different endings because both of these brothers will not make it out alive.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) That's a very
0: youth story.
2: Thanks, Uh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
0: and and what about um i know that you have a, a website and and a newsletter do you want to mention yeah, those
1: you, you can um spacestationz.com is the website you can uh, there, there's a couple of comics that i did with george the artist of tales from the dead astronaut on there there's a short story on there uh there's also a shop where you could buy i, I still have a couple copies left of burn residue one two and then three that will come with it i uh, i'm doing pre-orders for the graphic novel version which is going to be a pretty limited edition one of its kind um and you can find me at space station z on Substack as a newsletter you know the first two i kind of got into like how my youth informed my love of comics then the third one i just kind of gave away a free comic that me and george did and then for the next one i'm gonna kind of do a lot of process stuff so in the next couple weeks i'll have that
0: out nice we certainly have the fans of anybody who listens to a podcast called constructing comics would uh love to get into (laughs) the process so
1: yeah check us out and i'm also on twitter at commander of zed and instagram space station Zed.
0: awesome well we're going to link to um to your website and give the link to have people sign up for your newsletter in the the show notes for this so um, you know, just to cool, make it as easy as possible for, for folks to to follow five you and keep links to click on. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> we're making it as easy as possible. They don't have to Google. They can just click, <laughs> click click. So every, everything works out. So um, awesome. So um, as we as we close up, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. If you can give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructed Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructed Comics. And in addition to that, I'm also going to put a pre-launch uh, link to Diner Thrashers 2 that Noah is the artist on and I'm helping co-publish that. And that's going to launch May 1st of 2021. Um, so check that stuff out in the show notes. But I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be safe be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics thank you